how do you know that dropshipping is real? If someone flexes numbers, how do you know that's real? If I was trying to convince someone that dropshipping is real and I just show them a dashboard, how's that even real to them? But when you flex the lifestyle and what money can do, now it's becoming real and tangible and they can see what money can do for this person. Capital Club was the only mastermind that I went to. The feeling was that, damn, there's so much different things and more that you could do. This one was really natural. I could just be myself. This was like the first podcast that I've ever had that, that feeling. What's up, Andy? Hey, man. How are you, Brandon? Good. How are you? What time Pretty is good. it there in uh, Australia, right? Uh, 10.30 a.m. I know it's late over there in Canada, so thank you for doing this. Oh, no. It's literally only 6.31 p.m. actually. Oh, okay. Not too bad. Where you're up to, by the way, I was uh, looking through your like Instagram. You're building up all that studying.com, which is like, um, what is that? Like, is there like a competitor that you're kind of uh, almost like modeling? Is there like a... Right now, it's just an LMS where I just host my own course on. There isn't any direct competitors. I've been just trying to solve my own problem. Like I wanted to create a platform where students can book in a call with me when they earn enough studying coins and they can earn studying coins from watching videos. And I could be like, okay, it takes 100 minutes to earn enough um, studying coins and booking a call with me so people couldn't just spam students couldn't just spam a booking call with me every day and then if a student was free they can still get access to my course but it's sort of more like not pay to play but they would have it'll be free to play where they would have to watch enough videos to unlock the next modules or they can refer a friend to unlock the next modules so those were the few things I just sort of wanted for my students and that's sort of why I built out the platform I think you've uh, made it super sticky with like the ad, like some of the things you can do with like the coins too. Um, like like it's hyper C value, right? So you're making it like super sticky with like the gamification stuff. Mm, but I don't, I definitely right now where it's at, uh, I don't think I can like scale. I don't think I have product market fit for like cold traffic. It sort of works for my own customers that I acquire and it's, it's pretty handy for me, but I don't know if I can scale as of yet um but i've spent like the last year just trying to figure out acquisition now i'm sort of figured that out and the next part is figuring out like a high ticket sales team i think that's the next thing i need to work on and that's probably part two and then part 10 is probably focusing on the platform so i'm like far from like working on studying.com so right now it's just like a placeholder nice nice Apart from studying.com, is there like anything else that you're kind of like working on? The main thing is studying.com. Um, I think that the main thing I've been working on over the last year is building out the process where if like anyone DMs me or sends me an email, me and my team will give that person value for the next you know 12 months through just messaging. We'll ask them questions, store all the answers so that we sort of have a customer profile on who they are. We can like use ChatGPT to give them like personalized book recommendations. And usually around the six to 12 month time frame, they're like ready to invest, you know, 10, $20,000 in like a mentorship program. And if they're not ready to invest throughout that 12 months, that free person that we're giving value to, they're giving us like Trustpilot reviews, Google reviews, LinkedIn recommendations. So like it's, we're giving them value and they're more than happy to drop a bunch of reviews in return. I like that. That's something that I'm like looking to work on without our uh, info product as well is just making the product like really good, right? The, the follow up, the front end, 
especially once you have like the data over like 12 months, 24 months, and they have the economics figured out while uh, most people that are trying to get into the space are focused on like those short-term stuff. They don't have the numbers all crunched in. They've, they're new to the business. They don't, you know, you know, they just don't, they, they don't know numbers, right? So like, how can they compete? Especially when you know the numbers, you have time and then you have also like the economics. So it just works out really well. Yeah, because like, it's insane. Like we've done the numbers and the value of me sending you a message being like, hey, Brandon, um, out of curiosity, what are your roadblocks right now? Like me sending you that one message manually, because we, yeah, we can't, it's, we don't do like email blasts like manually per person. Like the value of sending out that message is like 10 US dollars. And we can sort of have a VA that we're paying maybe $5 an hour. He can probably do 10 messages, 20 messages an hour, just because every message is like really tailored to that customer. So that means he can bring in maybe $50 worth of value per hour. But then I also haven't taken into account like when the student does pay, then we have to like give them one-on-one mentorship time and i haven't calculated that into the cost it's the hardest part bro of it all i swear yeah so i haven't really like got like solid numbers but it's like starting to like balance out and i'm starting to know what the numbers are but you're right it's it's long term only if you do it long term can you really hold yourself in the space mm-hmm. yeah like there's like a lot of people like in the past like especially in the at least ecom space like Zang, Max Rubinsky, they'll scale up for like one year or even like not even past a year, like just a little over a year, and then they're completely gone after that. Whereas like I'm sure you probably heard like Alex Fedoff, Justin Wool, like they've been in the game for like so long. Especially like Justin Wool has been running his offer for like I swear like eight years, maybe. And then Alex has just been around for so so long. Yeah, re- reputation is like super important in the game. It's crazy. Like the reason why I don't have like I'm like probably 80% confident in my current acquisition process what I just shared is because like I'm still getting customers that saw me two years ago like a random old YouTube video a random old ad so like I can't really attribute that to the current system but I was just so surprised how branding is so powerful the customer journey man because um like uh from at least the dropship space like it's all direct response, right? Everyone's just betting on like the impulse purchasers, but like the money is really on like the 98% of the other people that take a longer time to buy shit. And then, and then like, oh yeah, yeah, go on. I was just gonna say, you're, you're right. And then to make it worth it for the 99%, you need to go like high ticket. Like it's hard to have like a two year customer journey for like a $2,000 product. Yeah, but you were saying? Yeah, that was something I noticed with like my sales call funnel that I've been running for a while. So then I switched over to a, a tripwire funnel because uh, I noticed that with the sales call funnel, there would be spikes in sales. And like, I, I would be so confused. I would have like one month where it's really bad and I changed nothing. And then I start changing everything. And then I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing at that point. And then the next month it does really well. And I don't know why I did that. And it's just been like, a, it was like a cycle from my first year, just up, down, up, down. And then as like, I learned more, and then I was like, oh, it's the sales journey. Like I'm not controlling it too well. Um, and I, I noticed this too with like a lot of people running like sales call funnels. Like they, they have a hard time cracking paid ads because um, they think it's just, oh, like the funnel VSL, boom, that's it. 
right? But it's really like the the fucking content that they have, right? Their whole like omnipresence, their YouTube, their brand, like people are gonna do that research. So I'm like, for me, I don't really post much on social media. Like I have like old content that people can look at. So I went with like a tripwire route, right? Where I can bring people into my world and control that process and consumption of content. Um, and that's where like things started like really taking off for at least my info product. Um, and then I see it with like guys too, like on Twitter, like they'll take off the, uh, Twitter's just so fucking competitive, bro. Like the consumption of content there can't be controlled. So I see all the top guys, they'll, they'll funnel people. They have to funnel people into like a, I don't even know what to call it, like a area of influence or like, like their world, right. Whether community or something sticky, right. So that people can return, return to that product to consume that content as well. Like I noticed. What you're doing similar, or would these be similar models where people would run ads to collect emails, to then put them into an email list, or people would run ads to get people to join their Facebook group? Because are those things that you can control or are those not good metaphors? Like collecting, like this is what, so like, like are you asking about like how I run the funnels or um, what, what, like what I'm doing tactically to like, get people into oh sort of what do you mean by you can bring them into your world and when they're in your world you have more control and you control that experience and you have more stickiness or yeah so like i was asking about that i think i get your question it was like um so i i noticed that everyone that was buying from me always buys from me because they're like oh like um, I started watching your YouTube channel and like you were talking about things that no one else is talking about. And then I went through your Instagram. Then I went through your your whole Instagram and like, you, like you're legit and like you have the results and like you're just talking about things that other people aren't talking about, right? So I'm like, okay, how do I get people to like actually do that, right? So first is like figuring out like, okay, I have to first figure out that, okay, this is why people are buying, right? This is like where people get like that paradigm shift. And like right now I'm uh, building out a publishing company where like I just publish like other experts, right? Um, to build out their info product. And like, that's what we want to find out. Like, why are people buying from you? Like, what's like the thing that like, what's what what's the content, right? That people are like looking up and like learning about you and then they turn to buyers, right? Because like I survey, I'm going off the tangent, but I'm gonna try and paint context. So I survey like every customer that buys the high ticket program, right? And almost 90% of them never say they bought from the ad. They never say they bought from the VSL. They always say bought because they watch a YouTube channel or they went through my Instagram. The reason why like my sales call funnel has been running for a long time is because I know why people buy. So the VSL and the ad is just like a first impression to make my brand like super sticky in their mind, right? So they have a reason to go search me up and stuff, right? And the content will do the selling. And I have everything tracked, right? Like on high rolls, I see the LTV of people that go on YouTube, Instagram. So I optimize the email marketing, I optimize my social pages, even optimize like the landing page so that they do go visit these like touch points because that's where the selling is actually done, right? It's never on like the first impression, but the first impression needs to be like a really good impression so that people have a reason. Like it's a lasting impression, right? They'll have like a, like, damn, this guy's like legit. And they'll have that mindset as they go through like the journey. Got it. Right now, does your VSL go to, well, the last I checked, it goes to like a lead magnet or like a $10 course. And the VSL you are mentioning earlier where like the VSL is just something to get people to stick 
Is that a is that the same one or is that a sales call VSL? Uh, that's a sales call one, and then I have I run those two funnels because it's almost like a flywheel. Um, but yeah, it's just a VSL, just value VSL, and then I have a short pitch at the end, just like your standard VSL principles. And then of course there's gonna be like a small percentage of people in the market that convert after watching the VSL. But I'm not betting on those people to make the ads um, profitable. Like if I look at Hyros Facebook ads sitting at one rule right? All the money is made email marketing and all these organic links that I have tracked. That's where like all my money is made for. But with the ads, I'm running it down to like the ground. Got it. And then what's the flywheel effect between like the $10 lead magnet and the VSL sales call, booking a call at the end of the VSL. Is the, are there two different videos? Do they, are they completely different audiences or do your audience see both usually? Um, my audience will probably see both, right? So Facebook's good at optimization and showing like certain contents depending on where the person is in their journey, right? So I first started off with the sales call funnel because that's like the back end, right? You start optimizing the back end, then you move to the front end, right? So um, the process of people consuming the content and booking a call, then getting a sale, that has been completely optimized through the sales call funnel. And that's new sales call funnel is usually like, like I have an indirect sales call funnel, right? But like, it's not going to be that scalable just because like how that model works. Um, but we got that working first. And then I launched a tripwire one for like consumption of content, but also with the sales call funnel, obviously it's going to be high ticket, right? The mini mentorship, it's going to be low ticket. So I started with sales call funnel, you know, like you build that brand presence, right? So all these people have seen the sales call funnel. They understand I'm selling something high ticket for the past year plus, right? And then they know I get good results. And then now next phase launching tripwire. Now it's like, they already know, like they already know that from the high ticket, there's good word of mouth. Now I run the low ticket. Now they can actually kind of like trial what I have to teach. And then from that, like maybe they go rewatch the sales call funnel or from that trip why they start to ascend to like my high ticket coaching because they like what they see there. Right. But also like from people that new eyes that buy the trip wire, um, they'll get nurtured through that. And then they'll see the sales call funnel and then they'll ascend from sales call funnel or they'll see the sales call funnel first and then they see the trip wire and then they'll ascend. So it's kind of just like they're working hand in hand with each other. Right. That's so freaking cool. Brandon. And how do you use Hyros to figure out value that's attributed to like a VSL someone watched a year ago? So I don't really like, you can look at like the LTV per source, but like to me, that's too complicated. I don't need to look at the numbers at that, like in depth. Maybe it's like nice to see the LTV, but for me, I'm all like qualitative. I just assume that people are going to take years to buy, right? And sometimes it's fun to look at like a purchaser and like you see like here go and they buy this and look at this click here. But I just always assume, okay, people are going to take like a long time to buy. So let me just do my own like qualitative analysis. What, what makes a person buy now? What makes a person buy later? Right. And um, just building that content out or like optimizing that, those points. But it's not something like, um, I, I wouldn't say like knowing the data behind it, actually like not knowing data behind it. How, how do I word this actually? Um, it's like, you, you don't need to know the data behind it to um, scale yeah, at all. But it's interesting though, to just see how like the customer journey works. I think it's more important to know like the high leverage touch points and just really doubling down on that. And then at the end of the day, it's just like money in and then money out. Got it. When you say high leverage touch point, what does that mean, Brandon? 
like um the content right youtube is it like especially for at least like from my experience with um e-com offers it's always going to be people see the ad and then they see the bsl and then they'll go do research on youtube or instagram whereas like let's say uh, a trading offer might be the high leverage touch points might be ad bsl telegram group um, stuff like that, right? Just different places where people intuitively within that niche go, right? Got it. I see. That's so cool. And then how do you know that one ROAS where you're sort of making a loss on the front end will be profitable long run? And then how do you know it's one ROAS versus 0.9, 1.2? Did you just like, are you sort of guessing it's at one or how do you sort of come to that conclusion? Because um, uh, front end, there's no cogs, basically. Yeah. And I'll have like a projection sheet. So I'll have like um, ad spend, I'll have my front end numbers and I'll have the back end numbers and then I'll blend them all together. Got it. So you actually break even like on the front end and then everything extra is just like the cherry on top. Yeah. My whole marketing like lens now, it's all in like content follow-up. Mm -hmm. um, and then even like looking back to when like I scaled really big with Josh shipping, it's it's always been through like the content and omnipresence. It's never been with the ads. And then even like getting a one rise and breaking even on the front end, that's itself is pretty difficult with cold traffic. And you've been able to crack that. Yeah. I think it's just understanding like intuitively what the, the market wants. And then you, as you build out the product and the offer in the front end, um, it should embody that as well, right? Cause a lot of people try to like, They'll create like these deliverables, but it's not, it's yeah, just know the markets, have a product that people want, and then the content around that, the product, now you market yourself. I think it's just that simple. I think everything that has scaled really, like really easily for me, yeah, has been literally just easy. I think it's just understand like intuitively the, what people want in the markets. Um, I think something that's overlooked is just like competition. Um, because I feel that for the most parts, marketers, they write like their marketing and everything like people are robots. Like they think that just because they write a buzzword that people will buy, but like people, people read the copy, right? Like every time someone buys from me, they're like, dude, your copy is like so different. I see this person's ad, they're saying this is a, there's this new e-com model. I know that's bullshit. I see this guy's ad, it's so obvious that he's trying to sell me something. Like the whole market sentiment is that they're skeptical and they think everything's a scam, right? And like, sometimes it might work with these buzzwords, but I feel that like, it, it's the quality of leads are bad. Like I talked to my other friends that do do that type of marketing and that's how they write the copy. They always complain about lead quality like every single time. But I feel that there's like a big market that's yet to be untapped by people who like the skeptical people, right? They're still in the market. They're just like more resistant. And I think um, like for the most part, at least with info products, I think taking a, like my whole approach with ads and copy is like the, the paradigm shift and the truth and just leaning into like what the mark, like leaning to the market sentiment and, and speaking to them um, exactly what they're feeling and like stating like, yeah, that's how I, I take it. I'll approach it. I think it, um, yeah, I think there's something there. Brandon, is it hard to hold a one ROAS? Like, do you, how often would you be creating new creatives, new copy and having to refresh things? Or could you let something sit for six months and have it? I, 
I could let something sit for six months. The sunset lamp I've let sat for two years now, right? Um, this trip R ad, I just drafted it in five minutes, recorded it in the next 10 and just color corrected it, cut it, didn't even add subtitles in and it scaled to 680K a month. So I think it's, I think it's just like a really understanding the customer journey. Like I think having like a really sticky product, sticky like messaging, really good, just the first impression um, and just betting on people that come back to come back and like consumer content, the more times they see your ads, I think that's where, where the uh, longevity comes from. I had ads that were like really poorly recorded, but they would convert really well short term, but then long term they would die off. Whereas my better recorded ads, sometimes it will start off a bit slow, but it ramps up and it just stays solid, right? So that's where I got the, the kind of um, idea from. And then also just like all the qualitative feedback that I collect from the, the customers. That's really interesting. When you say better recorded ad, what are like the better things? Like how do you create a better ad? Um, just one, the ad, the messaging, right? The whole like angle and messaging, just the, the intuitive vibe and the feel and just the big takeaway from the ad is much different from the competition. Competition's all in your face. It's super blatant that they're trying to use like these buzzwords, right? I think that's where most, I don't see anyone else that's taking my approach right now. They're most, for the most part, it's like new model, the new model, the new model, Josh Shipping is dead, Josh Shipping is dead, Josh Shipping is dead, stuff like that, right? Where it's like, I'm not sure if that works too well because like everyone's saying that, right? So, and again, it comes down to like the point where like everyone thinks that they're doing their marketing, like they're selling to robots, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, they don't think about like themselves as a consumer when they write their copy and like the whole architecture, the funnel, right? Like they don't think in terms of, I don't know, like people, they don't think about people. That's so crazy. So you put together some time to film the tripwire ad and you've just let it sit and it's like now at six to 800 K a month. Yeah. I can actually show you after off camera. It's just one campaign with fucking ad, bro. And this is off a $10 tripwire product. Yeah. Wow. And like, like I remember when I was running ads to cold traffic, and we're collecting phone numbers and emails. Like I was paying, like if it was, if a, the campaign was really good, I was getting like $3 per email and phone number. And then if it was average, it was five, but like it was a free, like, but then you're getting them to invest $10 and you're breaking even that, that is so impressive. Yeah. How do you get a cost per acquisition of $10 at that scale for a $10 product? Obviously all on the, the upsells and stuff, absorbing some of the costs. Oh, okay. And then the first, some of the high ticket buyers will cover, like there's like a call to action to book a call. That will also help the funnel break even on the front end. And then all the money is made through the, the call to actions within the course, right? Okay. So the front end offer has to be sticky as well for them to buy. And that's that overall like first impression brings them to consume the course. And then making the course sticky in itself. And then, yeah, that, that's how it works. That's so cool. So do, what's your break even cost per acquisition or cost per purchase on that $10 product? Would it be like $12, 15, 20? Um, I believe off the top of my head, it's about $54 US. Whoa. That so it's is... pretty easy. It's like a regular e-com store at that point, right? Yeah. 
That is crazy. So you know your numbers, it, that gives you such a competitive edge because like people with like free eBooks or like eBook just pay shipping and it's like a $10 shipping and then they send you an eBook, like they probably can't, you know, go up to $50 per acquisition. I feel like people, like too much people, like you mentioned that too much people focus on like the tactics and what they're going to sell. You just want to figure out like, okay, what's the product that people within the market will intuitively want. And, and that's it. Cause people oftentimes will craft a front end offer as something that people intuitively do not want to use, do not understand. And it's too complicated. So I, I always like, I write copy always off like feeling, I always think of like, what would the person feel? Cause like even thinking of yourself as like the buyer, when you look at an ad, you intuitively know what's going on in this ad. You intuitively know what's a takeaway. You intuitively feel a certain way about this ad. And then you click on the landing page and you intuitively can understand right away what this product will do for you. And then you read the bonuses and you can feel what these bonuses will do for you. So always deliver a product that people can intuitively understand right away. And then also craft the bonuses and stuff to tackle any of those objections that may come from that core product. Right. And just pure in intuition. Yeah. And then one thing you, you mentioned just then is creating a sticky product. Tell me about that. How have you differentiated your product and, and made it more sticky than others? So in my high ticket coaching program, I have a really great community and that comes from like just the course as well. I set the, the foundation and the expectations right off the bat. One of the first things I teach inside of that program is like the mindset how to use the program, how to use the community, how to ask for feedback, all these things. And why that works so well is because it speaks about the why, why they're stuck, why they're suffering, why, why, why. Especially for beginners, B2C, you always want to focus on the why. I learned this from like Alec, uh, Alan Sutanik um, versus like the how, right? So I took, I actually cloned over the entire mindset module from the high ticket program, threw it onto the tripwire. So the tripwire, community like there's like it just becomes extremely sticky right because they go through that something that no one else is talking about right and then i'll also clone like the ads part of that throw it into a tripwire and then i'll throw in coaching replays I'll, I'll literally just blast it with value basically um and it's all about i focus on like the paradigm shift i don't teach people to do the how i'll, I'll show them the why and the paradigm shift and and i guess a bit of the how but more so like why it works better than what they're seeing out there because i know customer behavior they're not only going to consume my course they're going to go on youtube they're going to read someone else's stuff they're going to go on twitter they're going to see all these guys stuff right so i'm figuring out okay okay what kind of content are, are they going to be consuming and then um just bringing it like just when i'm creating a content keeping that in mind right um something else i noticed as well is that really good book and video recommendations can be a tripwire in itself. Like I've seen people where they're like, I read the book you recommended me and that's why I bought your high ticket coaching program because no one else is recommending this. And the fact that you recommended this means that you're thinking differently from all these other people, right? So I'm just bringing them into my world, right? I'm just transferring like my philosophy to them. So I think it's important to have a really strong philosophy rather than like the how, it's just not sticky, right? Like everyone follows like the, people for ideals right versus just like the how. the how will get them into like promising the how and stuff but once they're in like selling the philosophy for the doers i think that's like really sticky for them 
and the community and like the, the potential it gives it shows them the potential right because now they're like holy fuck like there's a whole new world out there that i didn't know about and like it, it's real right at least that's what i noticed with the e-com biz op type of stuff yeah and i think that's for like most most niches like airbnb like it's just all saturated right biz op stuff but i think that's what i'm doing like um really different versus these these other guys how long have you been really focused on getting you to a point where you are like you have so much experience when it comes to info products when it comes to biopsychology when it comes to the vsl like how long did it take you to get to this point kind of funny because uh i i'm like a a, a late comer to the market for like e-commerce like info it's only been like probably I believe like two years going to three soon, but uh, yeah, I guess it took me like I don't know. It's hard to tell because um, okay. So if I backtrack, there was the dropshipping, and then like when I launched this info product, I actually did really well right off the bat. Like we scaled up to two hundred k a month within the like first three months, and then yeah, I would say at least to break like the current scale we're at, it probably took like yeah two to three years but i also have like experience with like drop shipping and then from that that also opened up a lot of doors um i get to see like what i get to connect with like other high level guys and i get to learn from them and then i get to apply what i learn um with them and i, I get to just experiment all the time right and that helps me improve my skills i'm not i'm not really too sure but yeah it i've, I've probably been in space for now for like four to five years now got it why do you think you were able to two three years ago start and instantly scale to 200k a month in such a short amount of time at the very beginning i think i think just i intuitively understood the market i intuitively understood that everyone's i, I just I, i'm literally the target audience so i crafted the vsl in a certain way where i intuitively felt good about it obviously understand like the buyer psychology the funnel stuff like that and then I had a framework for it that I just reverse engineered but like I think it's just from like intuition okay this is these are the three reasons why these are the top three problems this is the vibe that people are looking for people just want the truth right so I'm just just gave them the truth I talked about things that I thought that were important but it took me like a bit to craft it to package it in a way that would be compelling because at first it wasn't too compelling. And I just gathered qualitative feedback. A lot of things I do is through like a qualitative lens versus like data and stuff, because I don't think data is completely irrelevant without the qualitative aspect from it. So I always start qualitatively. And yeah, I think it's just from understanding, like just a lot of it's just pure intuition and feeling. A lot of the copy I write is also from feeling as well. So I take a lot of time to like understand the customer. And then what do you think was that paradigm shift or what do you think were the main lessons over the last two years to get you to a point where now you're sort of able to get to that next echelon so with with dropshipping it's all about like ads 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 and then as i evolved i learned that it's not too much about ads it's not and what i mean by that for like really beginners is that like it's not about your interest targeting it's not about cost cap, bid caps. It's not about any of that, okay? Because all Facebook is, is that it's just like a, it, it just helps you reach the right person. 
So creative and messaging helps you reach the right person, right? It gives the right signal. When the other person on the side of the computer, thousands of them are watching your ad, one thing that your ad does is like it filters out people that it might not be relevant to, right? And it focuses on people who it is relevant to. And then Facebook will pick up on that because the people who it is relevant to, um, they'll watch longer and they'll take action, right? On that ad, then Facebook will optimize those people. Something else as well is that I learned that ads create awareness. That's why I'm only using ads to just break even because I want, I just want to capture awareness. Man. Like I just want to generate awareness and capture it in, in other forms. Um, and also having really good product economics so that you could spend money on ads and run it at a break even or negative because you know that the money will come through other means, right? So I had to figure out ads and then just the lens that I look at marketing from, right? So now it's all product and how just intuitively, right? Like what do people want? Market is king, viewing everything through a, a lens of customer behavior. And then I think that that's, um, and just having like a strategic view of like, and that comes from like understanding the customer behavior, um, product developments and content, right? And obviously having a market. So that's the current lens I view everything to through. And that's, I feel that that's, uh, has been like a big shift because in Joshua, when I was able to scale a million dollar a month and scale to two million dollar months. And then I've always viewed things as ads. And now as I learn more and see more, I see that it's just, yeah, market, product, and content. And it's really not about the ads. So every time someone comes to me and they they don't know how to scale their store, that's the first thing we're going to be looking at is okay, the content, the markets, and just literally the product itself. Because uh, I'm, I'm everywhere right now. But people overlook competition. People overlook like the intuitive like feeling that their customers may have. Like you see in dropshipping ads, right? Like when it's like yo, like for beginners making dropshipping ads, they wouldn't even click on the ad themselves or buy from the ad. And it's just intuitively to them, it doesn't feel right when they're crafting the message of the ad and the benefits. It just doesn't feel right because they're forcing the marketing. They're trying to sell the marketing. They're not trying to sell the product and serve the customer. So it, it's just jarring for them creating the ad and it's jarring for the customer. And there's just a mismatch uh, across the whole, the, the whole board. When you say overlook competition, what does that mean? Does it mean don't do something if there's a lot of competition? Or does it mean look at the competition to see what they're doing and do the same thing, but different? Yeah, look at the competition. Like for example, one of like, for, for the dropshippers, I always give example of beauty, right? Cause everyone wants to do beauty because it's like, just a hot niche, right? But look at the competition, man. Like think of the customers, how much ads are they seeing every day? How much do, do they intuitively know about the products in that niche? And why do people buy? Like there's just so much things going on there that there's, you, you have to, if you want to tap into that niche, you have to tackle it all, all fronts, product developments, the contents, the ads, the messaging, the branding, the economics, everything across the board, right? And then, and people just don't think about the competition at all, right? They don't think about what the competition is doing, the how well they're doing their ads. Cause like, these are things that people will see, right? Especially on Facebook where it, it, it's an auction place, right? So whatever you're selling, 
there's probably going to be 20 other people like Facebook's good at finding like the, the purchasers. Right. So that purchaser is going to see like 20 ads from like everyone. Right. So like, Oh yeah, I just came to mind. So as direct response marketers, we're capturing awareness and it's important to understand where that awareness is being generated because then we can understand the behavior after that. And awareness, how's it generated? Like organically, competition, there's gonna, there's gonna be certain points along the way, especially competitors along the way, right? That craft that awareness, right? And we're capturing that awareness at the peak. So we have to understand what has already been crafted in that journey leading up to that peak awareness. And I don't think people think about that. It's such a bigger picture approach and it sort of reminds me of like Alex Homozi talking about how back in the days he was all about ads, ads, talking about how he would, I forgot the right, right term, it would be all um, direct response marketing and over time he's learned and starting to understand brand and how like that's a whole nother level and that, that shift just helped him so much. It makes marketing easy, right? Having a product people intuitively want, having that brand, which is really just through like content and like creating like an intuitive feeling amongst the market about like how they feel about your product and your brand and just like you. And then from that, it's just people just want to buy, right? Going, yeah. I think it's just, it, it makes whatever makes marketing easy. That's what you want to focus on. That's what I focus on, right? I never think about, oh, the ads, ads, ads. I, want to, I think about what makes the ads easy, having great product economics, having a great product and then having content. And then I run the ads and then people will consume the content because the ad leaves a great impression. People will understand what I'm selling so that when they consume the content, they'll be like, okay, actually I'll come back to buy this product, right? Making it like great first impression, frictionless, all making it, I, I communicate in feelings, right? like through everything I do. I feel like that's the, the main form of like communication with humans too. It's just like feeling um, versus like words and stuff like that. It really clicked when I was watching the interview with Alan again. And I was like, yeah, that that is true. That, that makes sense. Everything that I craft and I look at is through like, how do people feel? How do I feel? In the info product space, is there ever any way to build something that's truly evergreen or is it always going to be things are going to get more expensive, you're always going to be competing, it's always going to be an auction, you're always going to have to be changing to the new market. What's your thoughts on longevity instead of that? I think costs will increase because of competition and just uh, shifts in the market sentiment. So just like how people are saying, oh, people are getting shorter attention spans. What about you take the lens? Oh, people are just more selective about what they consume because there's just so much bullshit out there and everything back 10 years ago was new, right? And now everyone's spilling out bullshit and stuff like that. People just want to know, like get to the root, like show, show me like what, what's in it for me, right? So just the, that that's one example of shift, right? I think just having a product that delivers value as well and results will give you longevity. And then just, yeah, having a strong, I think the, the brand will give you longevity, the contents. Yeah, I think there's definitely longevity because I've, I haven't been running for long, so I can't speak on it. But just looking at like people like just Walt X Fedoff, they've been around for a while, right? But it's always like, you always want to stay sharp because there's might be someone 
that's going to come in later that's you know it's going to compete with you right what do you sort of focus on do you focus on trying to increase your ltv and get that you know 54 dollar break even point higher so that you can afford to spend more or do you sort of focus on trying to get your cost per acquisition down by having a better copy creative landing page vsl or do you work on both or does one or the other have a bigger impact I would say controlling the LTV is makes more sense than decreasing cost per acquisition. So yeah, and all optimizations for me happen around maximizing dollar per lead. So what's more important, I would say LTV versus um, cost, uh, having a low cost per acquisition. Because just business fundamentals, the business that can spend the most is the one that wins. So definitely focusing on being able to spend the most. What else? I think that answers the question, right? Yeah, it does. Because like, I was just thinking about it. Like when you build a funnel, there's so many um, variables from like the landing page to the video, to the ad, to the ad copy. Like if you're sort of always in the dirt trying to tweak that, those incremental changes don't have a big of an impact as increasing your LTV by $5 and, and building a whole- the product. Yeah. On the product sales, you just need a baseline of a funnel working and you just need like a scale it up, wait for it to break. And it's probably going to break. The first thing that's probably break is probably like the ads. Right. So, and usually I'm seeing it like people just have shitty messaging and they're offering something that intuitively is just not scalable. Like it only makes sense for like a small group of people in the audience. So fixing that first. And then once it just works, just you just need a baseline of it working. It's all content, sales, and products at that point. It's not even ads. It's just like just the only thing I'm doing with ads is just increasing the budget now. And then I'll keep track of my competitors, see what they're kind of doing with the copy, their messaging. I'll see like new competition pop up, but then like they're coming from like dropshipping and stuff. So they don't understand all this content marketing and economics. And they outsource everything to an agency. And that agency outsources everything to like, everything else and like there's just no like hands-on work from like a lot of these people they just want to do it for like cash flow and for me i came into it because of of like a bit of cash but also like passion and then also i just want to be fucking one of the best i want to be like top ranked on a leaderboard right so that that's what i want to do that's so cool it's crazy to on that topic like there's people like you, there's like Justin Wall, Alex Fedorov that's just ran ads and, and been in this space and, and held strong for the last, you know, five, six, three, like many years. And then recently there've been a wave of these sort of younger 18, 17, 90 year old dropshipping kids. And they're like doing a lot of TikTok reels, IG reels, and they're like flexing in Dubai. They have all these supercars and, and you, Justin and Alex, you guys are not doing that. And these kids, and then in their bios, like DM, e-com, if you want to learn. I'm like skeptical on how they're making money, but then they are somehow making money by doing the quick cash grab. And then you guys are doing the complete opposite, but have longevity and it's like confusing. Oh yeah. So, cause the messaging speaks to a different type of audience, right? Cause I was thinking the other day, okay, if like, if I'm selling something, let, let's see, how do you know that dropshipping is real? Like if someone flexes numbers, how, how do you know that's real? You, you can't, you intuitively, it just doesn't make sense. Right. I was like, actually that, that makes sense. Like if I was trying to convince someone that dropshipping was real and I just show them 
Shopify dashboard, how's that even real to them? But when you flex the lifestyle and what money can do, now it's becoming real and tangible and they can see what money can do for this person, right? And that attracts a whole different person versus like value, skill, skills, like focusing on that messaging attracts a different type of person. That's who I'm attracting because, and also builds reputation, right? The guys that are doing like the lifestyle, like obviously quick money grab, right? They don't really care about delivering results and longevity. They just want them quick money grab. Whereas I'll say us, we talk about different things. Um, at least for me, I talk about, I talk about like, I have longer form coffee that talks about like things that intuitively people want to talk about, right? They usually talk about nine to five, get rich, six figure income, work at home, shit like that. Like, I, I don't want to talk about that. Um, I talk about like, yeah, just the, the fucking shit that no one talks about, um, the real shit. And then I just package it in a way that's compelling because I know how to write the copy. And then, yeah, I think it's just different people that we're attracting. So I attract like a lot of people that they aren't looking for a nine to five. They're, they're looking, oh, sorry. They aren't looking to get rich quick, right? I, I barely run into people that are looking to get rich quick. Um, but they want to make it work. They want to make it work and they know the potential that, okay, like if I put enough, maybe I can get results fast. Um, but it's not necessary that they, they're not, they, they know what it takes. Right. And I think there's a big market for that. Right. It's just like, you know, woke versus like extremists, right? Like there's, there's a big mass market for that on both spectrums of the side. Right. Like I'm just speaking to the other spectrum of people. That's very interesting. And in my mind, I was just like thinking like, like what if someone who was on that, sort of flexing side of a spectrum, like ran ads and had like a proper VSL because all these kids are just getting leads in volume through just organic content. So that's sort of why it's working. They're, they're able to just get a lot of reach organically and that's something they can't control. So in one or two years, it's gonna dip. But what if someone, like there's no one really, in, like I'm trying to think there's, but maybe what doesn't work at scale with paid ads, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like, um... It could, but they're just so focused on like the cash flow that they don't fucking care. They probably outsource everything. They don't care about people. And like, I don't know, like the conscience is like somewhere else, right? Because um, I, I, I have a friend that runs the offers and the sales for these people. And every time it says, it's a double-edged sword, bro. Every time you scale these people, they just fuck off. And they don't talk to the clients for years. They, they don't do anything. They just want to make the cash and then they just want to leave. They don't care about being the best. They don't care about delivering shit for people. They just want cash travel. And I don't know, they like fucking lose their mind. How do you plan on scaling at the moment, Brennan? Is it just increase ad spend and keep pushing it to as far as you can for that break even point and creating new creatives and just running more ads to get more eyeballs? Or would you plan on scaling horizontally have different offers have like different trip wires have different funnels and scale that way so right now it's just building up the back end for even another ascension after the high ticket program um and that alone if you crunch the numbers that could just double revenue just like that right so it's super high lever and then that's it that's it right now that's it. that's what i'm focusing on it's all fulfillment operations and back end right now. The front end, it's like I haven't really looked at it for the past three months. But just like overall scaling, I also do plan and I'm currently working on just like building up different offers for a bunch of experts and having like a playbook 
so that they can follow to create really good fulfillment, really good results with people. And then they can be the face and I just do everything behind the scenes. So then that'll be like a true test of fucking skill. Cause then like, I'm not selling biz off anymore. It's going to be B2B people in weird niches where like, it's not just money and lab oil and work at home shit that I'm selling. It's going to be like, you know, like imagine selling like dog training, right? Convince someone to invest a thousand dollars in dog training. Right. So I, I find fun in that. And that's where like I plan to go. And then do you want to help other people learn how to grow their own dog training course? Or would you want to have your, your own dog training course and have own all these different assets and all these different random topics and sell what you own? Or will you be teaching other people how to sell what they own? I'm going to own it. I'm just going to have them like, yeah, it's, I'm going to own it profit share. Um, and then if I do run an offer, it's going to be for talent acquisition to teach people my philosophy, how they should create the products. And then from that, I'll send them into where I build out everything and they're the face and then we take a profit share. Got it. So like similar to like founder magazine. Got it. That's so cool. How do you, what's your thoughts on like creating ascensions? Like how do you crunch the numbers and know that if you create a sort of ascension above the high ticket or double revenue and is there like a sweet spot on should there be three levels four levels what's your thoughts on ascension i think it's a really big lever like even thinking trip bar ascension to high ticket that's big lever right and it's just crunching numbers right like if 20 percent of people that buy opt-in for 18,000, how much does that uplift your revenue, right? Just got to crunch it. Obviously, at the start, you won't have a solid number, right? A pricing. So I wouldn't even focus on that. I would just focus on just pitching it, taking sales calls, learning what people want, and then just seeing what sticks and then crunching the numbers accordingly. And then from that, you can optimize. And at the moment, what's your favorite LMS, favorite community platform? Is it Telegram? Is it using school, click funnels? I would say um, school right now. That's where we uh, host everything on. And it's uh, received like pretty good feedback from people that have been in other courses and communities. So I think uh, Sam Ovens is doing like a great job with that. And then one of the things I would hear a lot from other people in the info space is stuff like, like how do you like shop rates for bookings with cold traffic? That's like a problem that a lot of people seem to have. So how do you go about tweaking things like that? Like what, what's your thoughts on shop rates? I think like the market average is like 50%. It's as low as like 25%. So you're paying three, $400 for these bookings. And then like only one in four people are showing up. Cause it's a, it's a sales call. You know, you're showing up to a sales call. Everyone knows they're showing up to a sales call at this point. You can try fucking texture miners. You can try constant. You can try the fucking lead magnet or bonuses. You can try all that stuff. You won't show up especially these B2C guys, right? Maybe talk to like the B2B guys that are more like expert agencies and they might have good show up rates, but that might just because of the framing in advance. People want to buy, they know that the offer is good, right? So it's everything in advance leading up to that sales call, the content and everything that improves it, right? There's no like trick or tactic. It's all to improve show up rate. It's all strategic thinking. It's all content. It's all knowing competition, like what, if your offer is sticky enough, the messaging is sticky enough for people to show up and people, and also obviously some of the tactics will help, right? Like the reminders, because people forget and stuff, but just understanding like the core root of it, why people don't show up, just think of it intuitively. Like it's a sales call. 
if I'm booking a call, I know it's a sales call. Like every single time I know it's a sales call and that's jarring, right? People don't want to like, they know like it's the stigma now, right? It's just like, yeah. So you, you want to figure out either make something that's so fucking compelling that people actually sh- like you so much that they show up or kind of change the sales process. Like right now for the Ascension, something I'm doing is removing that sales call. Now we'll just do sales via DM. Because intuitively, like, why am I making a person that's already been in my program go through a sales call again? Why not just reach out to me inside the community, talk to me, and that just saves everyone time. And I can just write out copy to them and they'll convert at a higher rate than just going on a sales call, right? And I can just solve all, like, you know, just think of, like, what, what makes the most sense for these people, right? Like, maybe, like, for, yeah, it just, you want, you want to, like, hide the process, um, but obviously there's tactics like canceling bad forms and stuff like that. But I think overall, just having a good content um, and just really a really yeah good content for people to, to show up. I know B2C, like e-com offers people fucking never show up, but that's because like they know it's a sales call. There's five other guys that are doing sales call funnels. Um, so maybe what you want to do is maybe run a trip buyer get them hyped up on your product. And then like my, my calendar booking now inside Tripwire only has three questions, no hard qualifier. It's obviously a sales call. And I say it is, it's literally a sales call. I'm like, like talk to me about the program, right? But that's cause they've been hyped up. So I can command that action because I've set the context for it versus other people will like beat around the corner. Oh, it's a free strategy session. Don't worry, you don't have to buy anything. I'm like, bro, it's so fucking obvious, right? So that's what I think. So I think creating like context in where they want to show up for the sales call is the most important thing and not using tactics, but more so thinking like intuitively, um, how can I like actually make this, like hype them up around the, the product that I'm going to sell them on this call. Right now, which of your funnels do you put more ad spend on? Is it the tripwire or the VSL? And what would be the split? Um, tripwire and the split would be probably 70-30. Got it. And that 30%, because I get how like if someone watches the VSL, they go to your YouTube channel, they go through your emails, and then if they book in a call, there's going to be a high shop rate. But with the people who are straight cold from VSL to booking, what's your shop rate there? And how did you sort of get your shop rate to that point? And what would your advice be in that scenario where it's just like cold? I'll say... One of the biggest things for me to improve show rate was just being completely transparent that there is going to be a sales call, but also the value. And then I have like the omnipresence because once you book a sales call, just like how there's buyer's remorse, right? After you buy something, you're going to do your research. After they book a call, they're going to do the research. Before they book the call, they're going to do the research. I think that was the biggest thing because for me, I was, I was at 40% show rate for like the longest time, but the numbers made sense. But I'm like, you know, if I could do 40, 70. That would be great. And 70 is considered fucking great, right? Which is hilarious. So yeah, that's what I did. Wait, so you got your shop rate to 70% on cold? Yeah. Wow. And you're saying the biggest lever was after they booked in the call, all the emails and SMS reminders, you told them to go to your YouTube channel, review whatever. And create, oh, how did you get it so high? I think that those tactics didn't help it that much. Okay. I think it was more so... The transparency. I'm, I'm trying to like, it was like 
I, so when I had the show rate problem, I tried increasing like reminders, emails that didn't work. I tried changing the thank you page. I changed the, the video on the thank you page. That didn't work. I added links to it. I noticed that that didn't work. And then I started surveying people that did buy. And then I noticed that they all knew that it was a sales call. And then I started seeing that people buy. So, so they know it's a sales call. So I just started adding information about the, literally the program. There would be like a notion that just has like all the FAQ stuff like that. Testimonials do a huge job. Oh yeah. I changed my domain. Oh yeah. Okay. I changed my domain from the program name into my name. So now when people search up my name, they don't see the program. They see all the stuff about me instead. I think that helped a lot. Yeah, 70% is so good. When you said things like you would change the... The thing is that the, the, the close rate is also low. So there's like a trade-off too. Got it. How do you know if it made a positive impact, no impact, worse impact? Would you have to wait until you get 100 new bookings to see if the shop rate change and is 100 even enough? And 100 bookings, that's expensive. So like, are you letting each every change you make you have to sit on it for at least three, six months. So I, I just follow Cole Gordon's rule of thumb, which is like minimum 50. But I, I, I can see like sometimes you can't wait that long, right? Because like you need the sale and you're spending like a sales call funnel. And then like if, if you're not getting the sale, like you're, you're complete fucked, right? <laughs> um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm a bit antsy. I'm always making like changes sometimes when I'm not supposed to. But now my rule of thumb is like, if I'm making a big change, I'll probably wait like two weeks. Something I noticed as well is that maybe not even focusing on the show rate too much, just scrap the whole idea of optimizing your show rate. Because if you're going to be focusing on that, like, like you're going to get stuck. Like yeah. input, output, like are you making money from this current show rate? If yes, then okay, that's fine. So maybe not even fo focus on like other levers, right? But I know with the low show rate, the inefficiency of the calendar, right? So make sure you have a criteria for canceling really bad leads that are booking, right? That in a way increases the show rate, right? Obviously the show rate will increase, but like you're canceling more, but you improve the efficiency of your calendar so you can increase your spend and then allow for more space for bookings. So also having that in your projection sheet, uh, sheet how much percentage of calls are canceling, which usually stays pretty much fixed, right? That way you can get a true sense of what your cost per booking is, and then you can scale up your budget accordingly, and then you can have your true show rate because there's always going to be people that book and then they won't show up. And Brandon, for the audience, how does a tripwire work and what are the different options? Tripwire is just a low ticket product on the front end. Um, it helps you liquidate the ad spend. That's one thing. Another thing is that's just how I view it, right? It controls the customer journey. Um, so a lot of people just view, like it because it control, it liquidates the ad spend, but I view it as it controls the journey. And that's more important to me because I started with the sales call funnel. Um, and it's just a big bonus that also liquidates my ad spend. So I think I've seen massive success from that because of that reason. Yeah. It's just offer on the front end. That's just super cheap for people to buy. Right. And then what are the options? Would it be ebook course? Would like an email 
list count? Like what would be the different options for a tripwire? Ebooks super common because zero cog. Horse super common, zero cogs. In the econ space, there's some pre-built stores, you know, stuff like that. But I'll just think intuitively what can people Im impulsively buy that has perceived value in your market. So always think strategically, not tactically, and copy someone else. Think like what actually intuitively makes sense for the people you're selling to, and then sell that. Because then an ebook might not make sense. I see a lot of dropshippers throw an ebook bonus. I'm like, it doesn't even make sense with this product. Just because it's seems valuable doesn't mean like people want it. Right? Like think about it. Like why would I need an ebook for this? Um, so yeah, that's what I, that's how I would uh, think about it. And then Brandon, how did you go about building a sales team? Like that's a huge, that's also a big sort of milestone and, and a big sort of hurdle. Yeah. So I got a bunch of friends from high school to do my sales. And then I would pirate courses. We'll sit like for hours, like six hours a day going through it. And then I invested in a coaching program for them and then had them go through it. And then I would go through it. And then I realized that, damn, like th there's just so much work here, man. So I outs right now I'm outsourcing it, but we had it in-house before and that's how we did it. And it was just, it's not in my zone of strengths, right? Like it's, it's not my personality. Um, so we outsourced it and that was actually one of the big things that helped us take things up that helped us scale too, is having like a really solid sales team. And then how do you go about finding the right agency or sales team to work with? Because it would have to be a really a tight partnership, right? Because you would have to make sure their calendars aren't full. So they're basically like a partner, but then agencies have worked, they're working with many different clients. So you know in your mind that you're just one of the many, but then you need to work closely and you need their attention. I got super lucky, bro. I, um, through word of mouth, oh, sorry, through a mutual, we got connected there. My sales agency runs the sales for Ty Lopez. So then I got really fucking lucky on that. And they're all in-house too in Toronto. And yeah, they're, they're really good at e-com offers, biz op, uh, biz op offers. Yeah. So I got really lucky with, uh, finding the sales agency and the talent there. And they act as partners, they invest in their own masterminds, everything's like top, top tier, right? Um, so super, super solid sales allows me to launch any offer that I want to at this point, right? I just got to focus on the marketing. Operations fulfillment, I have like solid guys for that as well, right? These, they've been guys that have shadowed me, like one of one of the guys that handles the fulfillment for my program is literally my brother and he's shadowed me for years through the whole thing, has done his own stuff as well. And then he's in the trenches talking to all the coaches every single day and they do their own stuff. And so really got lucky on that side as well. Sales, fulfillment, I just do my own shit. And then as soon as I got results, I've just partnered with one of them and we're going to redo the entire product now to make sure it's top tier. So getting really lucky with all the talent, right? And I think part of that is just running like good business, having good skills, good just takeaway from when people interact with you and then you attract that kind of talent, right? Yeah. And then, and then yeah, I just do all the marketing at this point. With fulfillment, when you're hiring sort of coaches, would it be commission-based or would it be salary-based? I do mine commission-based. And then 
is it the model where you sort of find clients that do well and they want to sort of help other students in the community and become a coach? Is that the best way to find coaches for fulfillment or what's your advice for fulfillment? I think, so just having a solid playbook and being a good coach. So yeah, we just have a solid playbook for coaches because um, my my thought process is also I want product to be, I want my coaches to be order takers. That's it. Everything should already be mapped out. I We should already know every single problem that every person that's doing this will have. And we just have a playbook of, okay, this is how we respond. These are the pre-recorded videos. I just want it to be like pure, like order taking, right? Completely systemized. And yeah, I, I, I want to minimize like, was it variance in like the, the coaching and all that stuff. So if I could do that, then it becomes scalable. And then I don't need anyone with experience, but experience can help. But more so, I just need someone that like is just coachable. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll coach our own team and then also encourage them always to do their own thing because I want to see them use the product as well, right? So they'll also do their own thing. And then I always tell them like, you guys got to have a plan after all this. Like, I don't expect you guys to be coaches forever. Like, go start a business, go do this, go do that. And like, I mentor them as well, right? So that's one part. And I think that's why like, I have a really good team because I invest a lot in them. And then even with the sales guys, they they love me because like the leads are really good. And then like, I, I spend a lot of time with the products. And then if they need anything, I'm I'm there, like create the sales uh, sales aid content, anything like that, right? And that just allows me to work on like the marketing, right? So I, I just, I get a lot of feedback everywhere to help myself improve and then help these other people improve as well. When it comes to commission for sales, do you ever think that like, man, like I'm giving these salespeople such high quality leads. I have a complete different view on the approach. So they're just closing people left and right. Their other clients and the other info products they're selling, they're getting crappy, low quality leads. And we're both charging the same commission. It's not fair for me because I'm doing such a good job giving them high quality leads. Does that ever cross your mind or what's your thoughts on that? No, it's, it's not really, it doesn't bother me because like they're doing a great job. If they're doing a great job, I'm always willing to pay them more. Like it's, and plus it's kind of like, if they tell me, damn, like these other guys that are in the same space as me have shitty leads. I'm like, damn, like that kind of, kind of hits the ego nicely. Cause it's like, bro, like I, I can see why that might be the case. Right. And I'm like, okay, like I'm doing something right in this space. So I'm going to keep doing it and double down on it. Whereas I can see why these guys might have shitty leads because they're not doing it like how I'm doing it. So it's like, I know it, it, it's encouraging words, to be honest. That's awesome. How big is your team now? And and I can definitely see how you do invest so much into your team members of the training, the mentorship, and even having that mindset of abundance where you want them to have a goal after coaching and you don't expect them to be a coach forever. Yeah. The team just for fulfillment is six people. And then there's like the sales agency and then there's like some VAs and stuff like that. So, um, and then I also, it's funny, I also have um, my friends that are running their own info products. I'll have them on my Slack just to see the operations and everything. Um, so it's just like a mixture of everyone. And for the most part, the team is like super, like everyone is like their own person. So they'll do their own thing and they'll contribute in their own way and, and they'll build out things on their own. It's like that type of culture within the, the team. 
Interesting, given it's a very like everyone's doing their own thing type of culture. Oh wait, is your team based locally? Is everyone virtually working from home? What's that uh, setup? Yeah, I have th four guys locally. One's my brother, two of them, three of them, the, the, the rest of the three are related to each other. Two of them are brothers. And then uh, two in California, they live together and they're brothers. And then this whole sales agency is in Toronto. And then um, Dante, who I'm now partnering with that was student, is also in Toronto. So yeah, kind of locally and spread out, like pretty, I would say pretty close. Brandon, given that you have like a playbook for coaching and everything's order taking and it's, you know, anyone can sort of do a coach if they're sort of um, willing to learn from you. Why make a commission bonus? Why not just do simple salary, pay them by the hour because all they have to do is follow a playbook. And I guess are there levers that good coaches could do to get more success stories? Hence, there is the commission structure. Yeah. So that's something that I'm getting my butt grilled for right now by like my partner because he's like, this incentive structure needs to change. For me, I've always paid my guy as well. Um, but I totally see where he's coming from. But um, to me, I'm like, I almost kind of don't care. I'm reckless about it because I'm like, okay, like, let me just see what can be done if I pay them more. Um, and then I'll figure out the rest. I don't really, I, I could maximize it to squeeze a bit more out, but what, what for? And then they're doing good work, right? So why, why, why do I need to take away from that, right? I could create, like, it, Revisiting the incentive structure to me, like I don't want to, cause like it will decrease the pay if it's not done right. And like it's the bonuses are set right. But um, I think they get paid well and they do a good job. So I've always paid them well. And yeah, even like in-house I'll pay them like an agency standard rate, right? Um, so, and I've never had a problem with it as long as they're doing the work. Because this is a cash flow business, right? Like you really don't do much. I agree with, I was just trying to think, I was just thinking back in a past situation. Like I had a sales team. It was, I hired my high school friend or my university friend. And then he hired, he brought in his brother. And then I think we we're giving like 20% commission. It was like warm, hot leads. They were just doing sales. And then I realized that the market rate was like 10%. And then I like, yeah. had that discussion with them like they were just like the leads were so warm back then as well so they're just closing people left they were getting paid so much for 19 20 year old 21 year old university kids so I had that tough talk brought it down to 10 percent, which was the market average maybe added some schemes where there would be bonuses if they're like closing multiple people they can get 12.5 15 percent. and then now thinking back like things sort of broke when after not it didn't break straight away but that might've been one of the pivoting moments when things started declining. And it's a good thing that you have stuck to the, whatever you promised in the gecko, you're still sticking to it. And you sort of brought light to like, man, maybe that was a catalyst for things slowing down. Extremely loyal. And oftentimes they're willing to put in more work to maintain that, right? rather than if you lower it and then you get them to do more work or the same amount of work, they're probably not gonna do that. But they're always willing to take on more work because you've treated them well, right? And they're like, if you have that talk with them and you frame it that way, they're like, now yeah, you're right. Cause it's like same for me, right? Warm leads, 
and then cold leads and then they start performing they're complaining and stuff they're like it's the leads are bad i'm like no they're just colder so you just have to get better and you have to do more follow-up you have to do more work but think of it this way i'm not decreasing your commission you can probably make more and your skills are going to get better so you are going to make more and then i can just focus on filling the pipeline now right that that's same same like i have the same situation i'm like do i decrease these guys commission and ask them for more but then they're like bro this doesn't make sense and then at first i was like this does make sense and then i thought about a second time and i was like actually these guys are so loyal to me let me just figure out a way to work with them and meet them in the middle and that gave me like a really big like epiphany and i'm like yeah like actually i feel like as a leader taking responsibility and then making it work I think that teaches you like way more just putting yourself in nightmare mode you know that's going to make you like way stronger of a leader and like build your team up and the business up properly like way, way better that's so true when you say business partner what side of the business does your business partner look after and what what do you look after in the business so i was doing everything okay and then i just brought on a partner as a recent um to focus on doubling down on the product and cleaning up operations so that I can focus on marketing. Um, so that's why I brought in a partner. So I know a lot of people bring on partners when they start out from scratch. Now I'm more so like, okay, I scale up everything. And then once I've hit like a, a limit or once I want to build something, I'll just backfill it with the right people. Right. So, and that gives you much more leverage at that point because now you've already built something and now you, if you build something, you can find way better talent, right? Versus start from scratch. Like you, there's no proof of concept. If you bring like proof of concept, something that's working to someone that's already like generating, you know, hundred K a month. And then you're like, you can have 3% and we'll start paying you out the next month. And we can scale this up to this month. I just need you to do this. So I can focus on scaling it. That's like way more of a compelling offer too, right? How did you go about finding a partner? Given that you sort of did everything yourself, probably were very good at everything. So in order to find someone that was just good at three of the things you did, there would have to be like a, quite an exceptional individual, even if it's one third of your job. Like I've noticed that like, like I'm always nitpicking every single little thing, whereas the podcast or my content or my emails, and I'm annoyed that that one person who their sole job is that one thing, they should be way better because I'm, I'm, I'm spreading my attention thin. So how did you go about finding a partner and sort of letting that trust. So Dante has already like, he was a student for my program. And then I reached out to him because he was doing well, got him to do certain stuff. And then he was like, I want to build a personal brand. And then at first I was like, I'll help him build a personal brand. You can clone my whole business. So I told him what to do. And he went and did that to get proof of concept. And then I'm like, okay, like if he's doing that, why not just have him like, I, he obviously has certain strengths. Like sometimes he, pisses me off just the way he communicates but I'm like okay that's good friction right because like I, I don't care like too much about liking them like or like getting along with them on certain aspects like I get along with them but there's like friction certain places right mainly from like my weaknesses and like part of its ego part of it's like he's trying to communicate a certain way he has a certain way of doing things I have a certain way of doing things on certain things and we'll clash there but from that like we'll we'll like create like massive growth in that certain area and clean that stuff up and they'll it's like very like motivating for both of us and like if you guys can do that then like you guys can trust each other right and then he has something to teach you you have something to teach him um in terms of like developing the trust it just took time right because like 
one of the most common stories of like business is like bad business partners spread like everything around business partners right it's such a common thing um i think just time taking it slow and just analyze a person right like i know like i spent some time with him talked to him for like a while and then also got him to implement as well and then yeah i thought i just thought at first i was like it, it, it didn't make sense for me to partner with him but then as time went by and i got to see more stuff happening then i was like okay like might be a good business partner right and then also you you have to be a good business partner as well right because then like having you like you, you have to hold yourself accountable too right you have to have like the tough talks with yourself and if you can't handle that then like why, why would the other person be able to handle that and like you, you won't be able to handle like you, you're just completely blind right I'm not really I, I don't even know I, I've pretty much got lucky with like finding a lot of these people but I think it really comes down to just your own philosophy and like who you are. Um, I think um, if you build the right business and you have like good intentions and you're working on yourself and and you spread that message around, then you're going to find like the right talent and stuff, right? I think Hormozzi even said that a lot of hiring is just building the culture, right? And then you attract that talent in. So I think that's that's how it's too broken, bro. Like I, not to, well, I don't have enough time under my belt, belt to like speak on it really. Because um, I just recently developed like the philosophy around like business partnerships, just very very recent. Um, so it's still like fresh, and like I'll probably have to revisit it in like a few years from now. One thing I've noticed, Brandon, is you sort of talk about you know ego and having an ego, but at the same time you're super humble. You talk about not being sure about things, not having enough time in things. And it takes like a certain level of humility to sort of say those things. Um, yeah, I, 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 um, it was like a more of a compliment, not like it was a, a question. I don't have a question. Maybe you can give me your thoughts, but it was like more of like a compliment on what I've observed. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I think it's uh, good to have like community and it's hard too. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's been like super useful to me. What's your thoughts on masterminds? I know you went to Capital Club last year. There's like so many sort of of these high-end masterminds. There's like the War Room, Andrew Tate. So a lot of things, these communities seem to be popping up. What's your thoughts on masterminds? And have you met a lot of big name people? Have it, has it come organically? Has it come from these paid groups? What's your whole thoughts on like networking and masterminds? So Capital Club was the only mastermind that I went to. And it was nice. I met a lot of really cool people. And I think the big takeaway was just like the feeling. Because if you forget everything else, you can probably remember the feeling, right? So I think the feeling, a lot of the times you go masterminds and you talk to people. Um, I was even watching your one of your podcasts with someone. And I think the feeling was that, damn, you there's so much different things and more that you could do, right? So I think that was the big takeaway from being in the mastermind. Sometimes you make the connections and stuff like that, but I think the the feeling will guide you. Just being out there and seeing it that it's real will will do like a lot of like I, I think that that for me at least is like always fascinates me. Like just seeing that it's real because we spend so much time in the computer, working for the computer, online business, talking to people, not face to face. It's like a game. Then when you see everything in person talk to the people you make the connections you're like holy shit this is real right one thing that you talked about was wanting to control and have 
a pulse on the customer experience and the customer journey. How do you go ahead and control that journey to get them to your YouTube channel, get them to your Instagram, if you know those are two things that a lot of buyers do before they purchase? Yeah, because like it's all over the place. Like sometimes I'll get leads from a news article, but then sometimes I'll get leads from people who just looked at my LinkedIn post, then I'll get leads from my YouTube. So I don't have a control over where they go omnipresently. Maybe even keeping it simple, right? Always try to keep things simple. If that's the case, you're seeing that they're coming from everywhere and you're not really noticing any core place, then maybe just casting a wider net then. Just keep doubling down on across everything then, right? And then maybe starting adding tracking here and there and seeing if there is like a certain journey that people go through, then maybe testing it. But usually I'll just keep things really really simple when i'm scaling ads if i see something working just double down on it um and just keep it really simple there's so many times where people come to me they're like i can't scale this i'm stuck and then i'm like show me the numbers and they're tracking it day to day day to day day to day tactic 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 like many optimizations i'm like bro just look at your past four weeks are you profitable okay increase ad spend and that's it Given that you know your high ticket customers are people who watch your VSL, then they went to your YouTube channel, then they went to your Instagram, and this happened organically, how do you then make that happen more? How do you pull that lever? Right, so, you know, just, you can either, I would say there's like tactical ways to do it where like, okay, um, in my VSL, I say open up the email, in the emails, I get the little visit Instagram, stuff like that, right? But also, that, that's one way, right? Also, like just intuitively, where do people in your, in that niche, like how do they perform their research, right? Just understanding that and how they move along that journey and making it frictionless, right? So if you know they're going to go to your YouTube, uh, if, you, if they're going to go to your Instagram and then your YouTube and then your funnel and stuff, create a link tree in your Instagram, top three links, YouTube, VSL, done, right? Just making it all like easy to go across like all these these touch points right have you optimized your youtube and instagram purposely in a certain way given this fact yeah so testimonials blast testimonials playlist testimonial um and just i haven't done much optimization to my youtube other than that um and then for my instagram just like your highlights pin pulse and then like sometimes i'll record like vsl and i'll scroll through my instagram or I'll pull up my YouTube because that's the first impression, right? Oh, this guy has a YouTube channel. Let me do a research there before I click on this ad, right? Stuff like that. Just like subtle things, right? Just little things just to increase the, the volume of people like going to like my Instagram, YouTube, stuff like that. That's awesome. Brandon, what's your main focus for the next six months? I know you talked about working on that Ascension program. Is that the main focus for the next six months? Yeah, that one and just fixing up the whole program. And then I'm probably going to roll out new creatives, not because creative fatigue, but I want to change that messaging of the brand, right? I want to kind of change how people perceive like the brand, the product, and then also just building out these offers and scaling them um, behind the scenes um, and getting like, yeah, because I would say like this one econ program is a good like, guinea pig and it's taught me a lot so true test of scale and where i'm going to double down things is testing it in these other like niches as well and i guess that also brings like longevity yeah it's like 
scaling the business horizontally at like a holistic level now. Right. And I guess I diversify the risk and like, it, it helps me achieve what I want to, to achieve. Right. Which is skill and the reputation in the space. And yeah, that's my focus for the next six months. So, um, just all info now that's like my, my main focus. And then I'll have like, I have a, a few like clients that I'll uh, consult for e-commerce site, but I'm probably going to take that all off and just focus on like info, 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 like digital marketing. Brandon, how do you go ahead and scale into other niches? Like, let's say you go into dog training. How do you go ahead and build an omnipresence around that dog training program? Then you would need to have a YouTube, Instagram, testimonials, then a tripwire, and then like, it would have to be high ticket, but it might be hard to sell high ticket for, like how do you go ahead and repeat your five-year model into different niches that you might not be the face of and you haven't built out the omnipresence for each and every niche? That's that's exactly it. We're gonna build out the content strategy, right? Having a playbook for that. So one of the things that I, I, I came up with like an idea, right? Cause I was like, okay, I myself, will consume interviews on people before I buy from them just to learn about their philosophy and value, right? So I'm like, okay, one of the things in my playbook will be a hero story interview, right? So we'll script out the interview based on like what we think will be the most compelling. So that way when people do their research, they'll find that podcast and it'll be a VSL in a way, right? But, and then I'll also see, you know, for example, part of, in that playbook as well is like plug and have accounts on reddits um news articles like just read hey i research this is my review or is x a scam really good seo from reddit right just stuff like that part of the content playbook and i'm just going to make it as like systemized as possible there um and i just got to find the right talent to be honest so i think in the future once i have that solidified I want to run just an own offer for how to like do coaching and stuff, mainly just to train people. Um, it's probably super low budget, right? Because not expect a scale, but it just it's like a pre-training and then probably like I send them there. That way, like I don't have to do outbound um, and go through all this stuff. I could be word of mouth after that too, right? After a certain threshold. But um, yeah, just building it, building it, building it out, right? I think to start off though, there might not be a brand presence needed. It might just be all about the the offer and the framing of that and how like you want to kind of infiltrate the market with that, right? Like for webinars, you can't infiltrate market with that. It's too obvious, right? Sales call funnel, a little bit less resistant, tripwire product. Hey, I'm literally selling you something, right? So just making the product itself extreme, embody the big message in, its, in itself, like it's super compelling. I think like, I think a tripwire can infiltrate most markets, right? Either that or like a sales call funnel right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. So you're saying the tripwire is insanely profitable for you and you have an omnipresence sort of um, portfolio. So if you do it with something that is less omnipresent, it's a new course, a new program, a new influencer, or new talent, even if it's less profitable, there's still a profit margin because tripwire is really good at the moment. Yeah, yeah, I think tripwire is really good if you have no presence and you need to bring people into your world. Something we've even done with our tripwires now is um, we just have a playbook for creating the tripwires, the optimizations, and like how we want to build the course out. So now like 
we have the mindset course in each of these tripwires and it's just based off of the high ticket coaching program. So we've cloned over, we have like a talk and then all the people need to do is just read, repeat what I've said, just read the script out and talk about that stuff. Right. Um, so I'm just trying to make things like super systemized um, and just cloning over things that work here and there, but I'm always taking it, uh, looking at things from like the customer behavior lens, right? Like even with like the funnels, I'm like, what can infiltrate the market, right? What can hide the sales process? What product do people want? What, what is that product, right? Ebook, course. And then also once I figured that out, making the name like intuitively easy for a person to understand, right? Like for example, like one of the clients is like Airbnb persons, like Airbnb accelerator, right? I'm like, bro, like, they think of who's going to be buying this Airbnb stuff. It's like nine to five people. Like, bro, they want like a fast setup, right? Change the name to something that entails like setting shit up fast for them and that they're just going to be copying your system. Make all the bonuses things that handle objections that they intuitively have about setting up with Airbnb, right? So like, for example, um, a list of cheap properties that they can look from. Okay, what's the next objection? How do they... Once they have these cheap properties, um, how do they close the deal, right? So having like a negotiation script, right? Shit like that, that people can intuitively understand to solve problems. And like they, they can just understand right away from reading the name in itself that this is what the product does for me, right? You add all these together to copy the ad messaging. There's like a big takeaway that people have and they can kind of understand intuitively what your product does, right? Because you might've even noticed this sometimes, right? Your friends in real life, they'd be like, hey, you do uh, the dropshipping or e-com stuff, right? They don't really know, but they kind of have an intuitive feeling, right? They're like, oh, dropshipping is like that kind of thing, right? Like there's a lot of scammers or it's not real. There's intuitive sentiment in the market that once you understand that and you build the product, the marketing, the messaging, I think that's like a really easy way to tap into it and it's easy, right? Like once you understand that it's fucking easy, it's not even harder at that point. And yeah, that's been like my whole like philosophy and like lens I look at things now. Cause right now your break even point for your current tripwire would be say $54. But then a lot of people who join the tripwire, they'll go through the course, but then they'll also go to your YouTube channel, they'll follow you on Instagram, they'll see all your posts, see your stories. And then you will have a higher amount of people that would wanna pay for the upsell. And you're saying that without, if it was just only the tripwire, someone paid the $10, got the course, and just only watching the course and there was no YouTube, no YouTube, no Instagram, there'll be like a decent amount that would convert and for the upsell. I would say, I'll say you need to build that out. I, I would say people can't get lazy with it. I think once you have the baseline, it gives you proof of concept. But think about that. What, what can you do after that to get scaled? Is it the ads, new creatives? You can only do so much of that. Like what, what can you do to scale? It's like, okay, literally, I can only think of product and content to get mm-hmm. to like a million dollars a month. Like think if your business is doing a million dollars a month, where is like the actual focus? Probably product and content at that point, right? The ads are just building that awareness. I remember Sam Ovens, he didn't mention it explicitly, but he said that when he was doing $36 million a year, he was a slave to the content machine. Slave to the content machine. Like what, why? Why, why is why why did he say that because it was all fucking content he was dishing out content 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 it wasn't even the webinar it wasn't even the ads it was oh there's this guy some ovens content see his ad like it's all the fucking content right and he had a great product so that's it right but to get to that point you had to, had to get proof of concept before you like 
double down on that stuff, right? So proof of concept and then just do the big lever stuff. With the journey over the next six months, when you want to sort of release a new sort of message, a new sort of message for your brand and sort of redo the program, what's that shift going to be? And what was the catalyst for that? I just see like more competition going in and I just want to make it really hard for them to come in. And then also, yeah, I, I just want to think in advance. I'm just thinking like in advance where the competition might be, who might be joining. I feel like I have first movers advantage right now in terms of like the way I package and deliver things. So I just want to double down on it. And then I also want to test my hypothesis on that as well, right? Do these good first impression drive more like wearing these things and then they view me a certain way. And when I make these changes and I see that, I'm like, oh, okay, that's going to solidify that hypothesis. And that's going to like develop like a much more, like, I'm just going to, I don't know, it's going to make things click for me, I feel. And like, once I verify that, I'm going to be like, okay, okay, I think I know fucking ads now. I think I know what ads kind of do now. How do you create a new message or a new branding angle where it creates a barrier to entry? for competitors? So everyone's doing the iPhone shit or they're doing UGCs, tacky as fuck, mozy contents, or they have the RGB background or just really low quality. I'm taking the vibe and the feel from other stuff, not in ads niches like money. I'm, I'm taking it from my content creators because they have a vibe and a feel that is so intuitively natural and stuff i really like with that so i'm gonna create like a con like founder right they have like a bot it's very think think of founder intuitively so professional right so yeah just that that type of messaging right except they're like really professional they're too professional in my eyes where i'm like mm, yeah it's too professional for me right unless you know the names right like nick shack and stuff unless you know the names but i definitely think that that did play a part in building their names. Actually, I don't even think it was the ads. It was the fucking content, bro, that went viral, right? That really built those names up, right? And then it's just a flywheel, right? You run the ads, you have good content, fuels awareness to the ads, creates the ad. Ads have higher conversion rates now, and then it's just back and forth, right? What's your thoughts on the highest leverage content? You know, there's like YouTube videos, there's Instagram stories, Instagram posts focusing on PR, creating more content for the product itself, your info product. There's so many things when it comes to content, what would be the highest leverage? I'll say, so there's new eyes and then you have to nurture, right? So I'll say YouTube is great for nurturing. It just depends on the audience, right? Where they consume the content really, but just breaking it down to, okay, how do I acquire new eyes? And then how do I nurture um, people? And then where do I sell them, right? But Part of the playbook as well is that different types of content, right? Tips and tricks series. I, I named one the Paradigm Shift series because like that's something that at least I noticed within my own audience, right? They achieve a paradigm shift somehow, right? So I need something that's going to be the core series that creates a paradigm shift for people, right? And then just basic tips and tricks series, series mainly focused around creating trust and authority, yeah, just I'm still mapping it out, but that's like kind of um, how I envision it um, to work out just based off of what's working for me, except I'm going to have it way more refined for other people because for me, I'm like a bit 
like just wishy-washy. I'm like, if it works, it works. Just double down spend and wait for it to break. If it doesn't break, why? I don't need to really change it. And then let me just focus on the big levers. One of our last topics, have there been any recent discoveries that you've sort of recently been implementing to your life? Oh yeah. I've been leaning more into just who I am and what I value. Because so many times people are like, oh, why do you live here? Why do you do that? Why do you not spend money here? You should do this. You should do that. Um, You shouldn't do that. And then I've been just getting in touch with who I am, what drives me, what do I have fun with, and my core values rather than other people's core values and asking what they think about this purchase or this decision or whatever. Because usually what you're doing is just asking to see what another person values right? You're not even looking for their opinion. You're just seeing if they value the same thing as you, right? But for me, now I'm like, okay, like, I just like to stay in my basement. I don't fucking care. I'm going to move back home in my basement. And they're like, why would you do that? I'm like, because I like it. And it makes me feel like I'm at home. And it drives me to do more stuff. And it motivates me. That's just it, right? So yeah, just being yourself, being myself, basically. Because I feel like in the entrepreneur space online, you can get lost. Twitter's a circle jerk. Every group is a circle jerk. And like, it's all the same people influencing the same group of, a group of people. And then when you shut that down and you start exploring different circles, you'll see that there's a whole giant world of entrepreneurs. And like, people think, oh, Andrew Tate's the richest guy. It's cool. Bro, there's people bigger than him and they don't care they're masculine. They have wives. They're loyal to their wife. They live a humble life, even more humble. They don't care about supercars and they're, they're happy. They're not going to jail. They don't have to, not everything around them is a, a flight or fight, right? There's people like that, right? But they're just not on social media because they don't fucking care, right? So I've been just doing me and just figuring out what my identity is, just removing stuff. And like, just figuring out, okay, like, what do I value? Is it money, is it skills, family? What, what, what do I like to do, right? And I think even just like in the entrepreneur space, like econ space, people don't look at me for like, oh, results, stuff like that. They look at me more so for like my ideas and philosophy and skills, which I like appreciate from them. And I think that also plays a big part in like my longevity of my personal brand as well. So yeah, just been doing me. Yeah, just trying to like get as much stuff done that's so freaking cool like i've been trying to consume less content because when you're watching other people on youtube and listening to long-form interviews you're sort of taking bits and pieces and all of a sudden i'm no longer me like if i watch some agitate content i'm starting to now want to work more put in longer hours even though i know my sweet spot is around eight nine hours and now i'm wanting to work more because i watch some agitate or if I'm watching Gary Vee, I'm like, damn, like maybe I should create more content, get organic inbound leads. But I know I've done that and that's exhausting and it's not me. So I'm like, I'm like, damn, like watching content is now creating internal strife and subconsciously I'm probably am picking on things that more stress than needed, man. Sometimes yeah. you just need like a good talk with like a good friend or talking to someone, and then they'll be like, just getting a different perspective. Fuck. You know, you're Australia, right? Asians there love like the rave culture. Just you can have balance across everything, right? Just get the work done and then just have a balance of everything. Get good perspective because sometimes just a reminder is all you need. It's like, oh, like I should probably 
I'm stuck right now and I feel like unclear about things. And sometimes people can get stuck there for a while and then maybe just talk to other people and or getting like reading your old notes, getting a good reminder that, oh, like, okay, I'm stuck because I'm, I'm, I'm like, I keep doing the same thing or I just need to do more of something different than this. Or it's just like, it's just like the, the answer is always something super fucking simple. And sometimes like for, oh yeah, high performance sales teams, the first things that they look at is the health overall life right so probably focusing there focusing with the health first the mindsets um and not having someone that like that i feel like that could also be tricky because sometimes people get stuck there right they're stuck in like the mindset optimization stuff and like it's it's a crutch i don't know probably having like good i, I feel like environment is just so like important having like the right friends maybe you need the hard-ass friend around there sometimes kick you into shape you need that super masculine, maybe you need like a super feminine girlfriend, maybe like stuff like that, right? All types of people. I, I surround myself with all types of people, right? Loft, I sometimes see, oh, you shouldn't surround yourself with that type of people because you're at that level and trying to go with that. I'm like, but I like surrounding myself with these people. They keep me fucking grounded. And I like surrounding myself with these types of people too. There's like a time and place for all these people, right? They all add to like my life and it makes it much better, right? And I perform much better. That's also the only things in like terms of like a marathon, right? So I don't know. I'm that's my mindset. I've been doing fine. And like thing for me, I just randomly just went on like a bender of like not working for a while. And then I just randomly felt like I just need to work. And then now I'm just picking up more work, right? Just doing more stuff just naturally, just because I just feel like it. I don't even know where it comes from. And then from that, yeah, just, yeah. I recently like created this tweet where like, I realized that I hang out with like weird people, cool people, introverted people, charismatic people, adventurous, spiritual, like grind homebodies, digital nomads. And by hanging out and spending time with all these people, um, it allows me to be more multifaceted. And I think the catalyst was like when I introduced like a weird friend with a, a less weird friend, they didn't like, they both didn't like each other. And then they're like, dude, you shouldn't hang out with the other friend and they're both saying that but then I was getting sort of value from them individually one-on-one -on -one, separately and I was like oh why do I have so many different clashing friends and and then it's okay yeah it's it's completely okay I think um as you develop self-awareness and stuff too um you, you'll know if the people are good right you, you'll you'll have like a gut feeling of their good intentions and like I see for like for myself at least I've been leaning more into like my gut feeling a bit more about how I feel about people um, that I meet and stuff. And, but also like have tried to like not judge, but like I'll lean into like the feeling a bit more and try to understand probably why. And then if I'm proven wrong, then I'm proven wrong. But um, yeah, just listening more to like my mind and how I feel and like even the marketing, just leaning more into like intuition a bit more allows just you to see things on such a more holistic level and get connected much like even in the marketing leaning to like intuition and feeling so much more connected it's so much more effective and i feel that even as I, i've seen like from older people like they always talk like your gut feeling right just, just trust yourself right and i feel like yo if i see in the marketing like for yourself too like that's probably something there right What's your circle like now, Brandon? Especially, like, I'm from Australia, Sydney, and there are, like, a few sort of other entrepreneurs that are young as well, but it's, like, completely different to when I stayed at SF, LA. Like, that whole, that's, that was a completely different experience. Super small. Like, I have, like, 
the people I work with are also really great friends of mine. And then I have really great local friends that are doing their own business. Maybe they aren't at the same scale, but I love their energy. I love their creativity. I love their grind. And I have no doubt that they're going to do really extremely well later on. And then, yeah, people I work with. And then some some friends in the online space, like Carl Weish, if you know him, and from Accelerate Agency, those guys are good friends of mine, absolute angels. And yeah, some other people as well. Like most of my friends are like more like, yeah, I have a super small circle, but those 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 are the people that have the bigger, they have way bigger circles than me. So um, I know I'm, I'm a bit in the echo chamber. I'm not even going to lie, but that just shows that you don't need to be all out there to get results and to learn everything, right? Sometimes, like for me, I'm a bit just, everything's just introspection uh, and just everywhere, right? And like, I'm just, just literally a regular person, to be honest. That's so cool, Brandon. Brandon, I really appreciate your time today. Where can people find more about what you're working on, hear more of your thoughts and just get more of you? Um, probably in my Instagram, YenGov. Um, and then maybe, to, I honestly don't post too much anymore. Like I posted like uh, a, th a thread, like a bit on threads the, uh, like last week. And then like, I probably haven't posted for like five months i feel like nothing like I'll, I'll post within my group um or i'll talk amongst like my friends about stuff but really i don't really post much to be honest but. i'll link your instagram your youtube and everything below but yeah i, I really appreciate your time today I, I love how you know one you're like so transparent which is the complete opposite of like the people in the info space and you have such an abundance mindset. Yeah, info space is a bit weird. It's a lot of weird. Like the econ space is all like the, the bros. Info space is like I feel like Karen's and stuff. Like it's <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. Like the info space is like a lot of people, it's like it's a bit secretive. It's a bit like you're a bit ashamed to be an info product person. You completely own it. And then, the, and then as a result, there's this internal strife and you could feel that, 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 that split in them. But, but I, I totally feel what, what you're saying about the space. Yeah, the info space to me is like a fucking art, bro. As long as you're doing like good products, it's, it's an absolute fucking art. Like if you love marketing, I think info space is something that people should probably try to look into just like kind of understand it a bit because there's a lot of mental models that can help out with a lot of things i agree but yeah thank you brother thank you brenda i love how and, and you provided so much value and this was such a fun conversation so hopefully the audience got some value from today's episode guys if you've made it this far let me know your thoughts please drop a comment please dm me in and just let me know how this episode went if you have any feedback but yeah this was a beautiful conversation and i'll see you guys next week with another episode Peace.